0: Sligo Tool Podcast is sponsored by Queen's University Belfast. Researchers at Queen's are at the heart of supporting global efforts to understand the coronavirus. To discover more about their research, please visit qub.ac.uk. Welcome to the Slugger Tool in Conversation Podcast. My name is Brian O'Neill, and my guest today is Dr. David Souter. David has been a dentist in Belfast for over seventeen years. And he's going to talk to us today about the state of dentistry in Northern Ireland and in particular the challenges around Covid-19. So David thanks for being on the show. No problem Brad thanks for having me. So you were saying that um I, I assumed you've been kind of uh, relaxing at, at home for the past four months but you, you said you have been kind of doing little bits and pieces here and there. Yeah so um
1: since lockdown was brought in um although practice was, was probably perceived by the the general public to be closed and um, the vast majority i think um over 73 percent and were open the entire time and um, now that necessarily wasn't for people to walk in and get their teeth fixed but we were there and um, taking phone calls every day um, and organizing treatment for those where we possibly could now a lot of treatment was restricted very much early on those restrictions have lifted um, dramatically now um. And there also were about five urgent treatment centres around Northern Ireland that we could refer people to for treatment they needed to get.
0: Yeah, because I, I think uh, if any of us listening have had toothache, there's no greater greater misery, and <laughs> something that you kind of want sorted
1: as soon as possible, or isn't it? isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I know certainly in our day-to-day business, we see a lot of people who um, aren't feeling the best after three or four days lost sleep.
0: From a yeah. sore tooth
1: so uh, yeah i can certainly sympathize um mm. especially with people um you know who were finding it very difficult to access dental care over the past few months so
0: so the issue is um it's it's aer- aerosol generating procedures which do you want to explain that in simple terms what that yeah. really is
1: so an aerosol gen- generating procedure or what we like colloquially term agp which is mm-hmm. something to be honest five months ago never really heard of um is when we use water spray in your mouth okay and because um the coronavirus um is spread through um droplets from your mouth if we spray water in your mouth that can spray those droplets from your mouth around the room and therefore that increases the risk of um passing along the virus to someone if you had it in your mouth so the things that we would do and um, that people would be familiar with in dentistry, that would be AGPs would be the scaling of your teeth with a little water scaler, the squeaky mm-hmm. one that everyone hates. Um, when we lifted a, a drill um, to fix decay in your tooth, um, or we have a little syringe that blows iron water together and there's a, there's a high sort of power setting on that. If we use that, that, that also is termed an AGP. So we use that to dry your tooth or if we're doing fillings and washing your tooth and stuff we would use that as well
0: oh well, that's interesting because i i assumed it was kind of like uh maybe like blood or stuff spitting in your mouth but it's, it's actually the water then that's the yeah so issue.
1: it's it's water um and that's also the reason why um, when you go into the dentist and we're doing any treatment we would give you eye protection ah, um, right. because your eyes your cornea um is susceptible to bacteria and viruses and things which is why people get conjunctivitis and mm-hmm. um, so we would always give you eye protection because if we're using water sprays in theory that could aerosolize any bacteria and viruses in your mouth and they could land in your eyes which is why dentists wear it um, normally wear eye protection as well and um, we're now wearing visors and um, some people did wear visors and um, certainly uh, in some of the clinics i worked in we would have worn visors routinely anyway and um, but most of us will wear eye protection of some sort you'll see dentists wearing mm-hmm. ones with little magnifying glasses as well in them dental lips so we can see your teeth in up
0: close but if, if you have um the visor on and i presume you'll have a mask then i mean what what are the chances of the little get getting free i mean is it is it slim or is it so um, i studied it i presume yeah?
1: um in the th- in general we would use um surgical masks and they mm-hmm. that's what they're now terming level one ppe okay and we'll probably talk about more about that later um, and those are the masks when you go into the dentist, you know, you'll be familiar with us normally wearing um and a visor. So the visor really protects you against splash. So yeah. that's, the, that's the aerosol hitting your face and stuff. um it's the more sort of smaller droplets getting around the side of the mask because that mask isn't tight fitting around the side. So those masks are good to protect the patient from the dentist because most of our breath hits the inside of those masks. and doesn't get through. um. But the other way around, um, if you're wearing a mask, it doesn't protect you as much from the patient as the other way around. and that's why um, there has been this debate about people wearing masks in public as well. So if everyone wears them, it works pretty well because you're protect. If someone's infected, they're protecting everyone else. Mm-hmm. But um, if you wear one by yourself, you're not protected so much from the general public, and that's where the debate about masks comes comes in.
0: Okay, so my, and an idle word then, deal then of, of what gear do you need to kind of keep safe and
1: So the recommendations these days are for level two PPE, okay, which is the next stage up for um, doing our AGPs. And that would be a mask that's fitted to the dentist's face, okay? So we all have to do fit testing Mm -hmm. um, for these masks. Um, There's lots of different companies make versions of these masks as well. Um, A visor, gloves, and then a gown now the gown is either disposable or rewashable, but we would change, We would put that gown over our scrubs or over our clothes, um, before we would go in to see that patient for an AGB, and then that'll be removed after. And um, there's also t- um, some people are using foot coverings and hair nets as well.
0: And the, and the actual mask that you say is custom fit. Is that a is that a permanent mask or how does that? So do there, are, again, there are again
1: there are different versions of this. There are um, a single use variety. Now, uh, the single use variety would be, they tend to be used in industry up to this point and they mm-hmm. wouldn't have really been single use, they'd have been used it till it's, you know, for a few days and stuff. But because we're dealing with biological matter and individual patients, we can't transfer that from one patient to the other. So yeah. they become single use for us. And those masks, depending on where you're getting them, depending on who's making them, um, they can sort of be 15 to 20 pounds-ish
0: each. Her and it has to be disposable. Yeah. Oh my god, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. Now there are reusable masks that you can change the filters in, and those are initially more expensive, but then obviously over time, um, they become less expensive, and the filters can be changed, and then the masks themselves
0: are cleaned and wiped so that you know you're not passing anything on. Oh wow. I, know, uh, I think I've seen on um, some of the hospitals in America like 3 m have a mask. It's kind of like a, an air guard that kind of like pushes air. Have you seen those ones? No, I
1: actually haven't. That must be a new one only.
0: Yeah, it's kind of um, it's just like an air barrier and so the stuff doesn't get free. You know, okay. I'll, s- I'll send you a link to it. Um, so basically then the issue that you're having is all this is going to drive up the cost of treating people if you have to spend, you know, 15, 20 quid on all this extra gear
1: yes so that that's one of the two the two main issues with um cost i suppose so um obviously the ppe is not just for me the dentist but it's also for the dental nurses in the room so there's two of us that need ppe for every patient <clears throat> um, and then if we do what's termed an agp at the moment um we then have to leave the dental surgery for an hour afterwards and that would be called a fallow time and the idea of that the theory is that any droplets in the room are going are going to fall down Mm -hmm. over that hour and then when we go in and deep clean the room and clean all those surfaces everything will be removed
0: so before you would have been treating Mm -hmm. maybe like four patients an hour maybe or is that about the average
1: yeah it really depends what treatment you're doing um so we would sort of talk in day terms most health service dentists in northern Ireland will be seeing around 25 to 35 patients a day Mm -hmm. now that's going to be a variety of things it's going to be fillings going to be checkups ground preps, dentures, different things. And each of those takes a different amount of time. So um but on average you would see 25 to 35. If we're doing the fallow periods and stuff, you know, we could maybe fit five or six patients in the day if we're using a scaler or a drill. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, our checkups, we would see your check your teeth, do any examinations, book you for any treatment, or if not, we quite often clean them for you. Um that cleaning is an AGP. So if we, if we brought you in for a checkup and clean, we'd have to leave the surgery for an hour. And that's, okay. that's the main issue. Now, PP is a big issue, and we'll probably chat about that a wee bit. Um, but the main issue at the moment is this fallow period, because to run a dental surgery in sort of, I suppose, loose terms, it costs around minimum about 120 pounds for an hour. Okay.
0: No, that's is that is that for one dentist per dentist type of thing?
1: Yeah, so that's one dental surgery. So that's the dentist, the nurse, the lighting, the rates, the New materials, insurance. all mm. you know, all that sort of stuff. And on the health service, um, a small filling, the dental practice, not the not the dentist, the dental practice receives about ten pounds. Um, for a medium size filling, that's probably about seventeen pounds and for a large filling that's about 25 pounds, roughly, okay. Um, So you can understand if the PPE is somewhere between say 25 and 40 pounds for the two people in the surgery and then the sort of the fallow time is costing us around 120 pounds, then you have costs of about 160 pounds ish for a
0: 10 pound income perhaps. Okay, so um, you don't need to be a, a, a genius in economics to so work out that doesn't really isn't very sustainable.
1: No, and th- this is the big issue. And dentists, like I think people probably be surprised um, by dentists at times. I know certainly I'm at dental conferences, and I think sort of if a member of public walked in and heard us discussing what we're discussing, they'd be very surprised about how much dentists actually care about the patients. Mm-hmm. Um. I think it was Jack D. said, a dentist is someone who cares about your teeth more than you do. Um, (laughs) But dentists are very concerned about the patients because we, although we obviously have these issues with our businesses, because all dental practices are small businesses, we're independent contractors in the health service. We want to see patients. We want to get patients in. We want to get people in pain treated. We want to make sure that disease doesn't go rampant in people's mouths. But we're in a position where we can't do that, because if we do that, then we'll run ourselves into the ground and we'll have no dental practice in a month or two.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it, it is it's pretty terrifying. And so even before this, um, right, how does it work? So I, I pitch up, you do a filling with me. OK, I'm NHS, but because I am employed, I still have to pay. Is that right?
1: That's correct. So there are um, the health services is one system and it's what they call a fee per item system so there's a large list of treatments on the health service and for each of those treatments there is a fee assigned to it and that fee is split into two parts there is the fee that um you will pay and then the top up from the health service okay so normally the patient will pay 80 percent of the set fee um the fees because because over time they've wound up in small inflation inflationary rises, they're very strange and they're sort of like six pounds eighty-seven and you know 13 pounds twenty-three and stuff like that. Um so if you are someone who um is on benefits or allowances and for some reason doesn't pay for your treatment, then the government pitches in and pays the full amount. But if you okay. are employed, you would pay 80% and the government tops that up.
0: Okay. And now is it the case then that the government is kind of like Keeps reducing that percentage over the years because they kind of know that you know the the end the customer is just going to have to pay. I mean, but was it like fifty percent at one stage and then it just keeps going down or down?
1: Um, historically, I'm not hundred percent on that, Brian. And um, certainly since I've been in health service, it has been um, eighty percent. They 80%. haven't changed that at all. Now, what they do tend to do is they don't put up the the overall fee massively. Um, so it does go up. We do get we do get rises rises in that. Obviously during austerity times, those were very few and far between. Um. So when that the overall fee goes up, the patient portion will also increase the same amount in percentage terms. Um. The government probably and I, I don't want to speak for them, but um. They probably don't want to put up the overall fee too much because obviously the people who aren't unemployed they have to pay the full whack of that. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but. If compared to dental charges worldwide, um it would be certainly perceived within the profession that the NHS payments um for per item are generally artificially low. Yeah. Um and there's certainly that's why um we would see maybe twenty five to thirty five patients a day in the UK as a health service dentist, but perhaps in other countries they're maybe seeing twelve to fifteen patients in a day.
0: Yeah, because I mean I'm always whatever i see I, i'm kind of always shocked at, at your kind of workload right? because i mean you, you are essentially doing like a lot of it is kind of minor operations and to for the focus and attention that it must take you know because i mean i, I i'm always glad that i i always seem to get lucky and get in first thing in the morning but i, I don't know if when i get you like quarter to five <laughs> you're, you're tired <laughs> so but it, it's i mean is that the reason why the burnout rate is so high with dentistry sheer volume and intensity of the work
1: yeah i think so um and you know certainly a lot of my colleagues i know who um have been health service over the years and then have changed to private um, are not doing so to suddenly rake in loads of cash it is generally to reduce their workload and have a better quality of life Um, and sort of you know maybe earn the same amount of money but see 15 patients a day and you know, and have probably because they have that more time to enjoy their job more. Um, so I think som- sometimes it's it does seem like a little bit big it, it's a term within the profession. It's a bit of a treadmill. Um, yeah. you know where you're sort of seeing people as quickly and as efficiently as you can, while obviously trying to provide the best level of care you can. Um, a colleague of mine I think was on a local talk show, um, last mm. week. And, you know, suggested that, you know, £10, there's nowhere else within the health service where someone will provide um, a small surgical procedure for £10, for, you know, including all the costs.
0: Yeah. Well, and to clarify the cost, because if someone's unemployed um, and the health service pays 100% of the cost is that one hundred percent of their no, uh, nominal rate for the work, as opposed to your actual cost for the work. If you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, they pay one hundred percent of the the fee that the, the department, aka the government, has set.
0: Okay, so so their fee for one hundred percent of doing a fill-in, I don't know, it could be. You, you say is, is it like is that the ten pound, fifteen pound, twenty-five? Yeah, yeah, roughly yeah. Okay, but if I was a private customer, you would charge me what, maybe sixty, seventy?
1: Well, it very much depends on the size of the filling as well. So the health yeah. service, um, the the fillings are based. This is going to get quite technical, but if you, if you think of your tooth as a cube, mm-hmm. um, if you do a little filling on the top of the cube, that's kind of your ten pound filling. If it goes down one side, you're talking your fifteen to seventeen pound filling. If it goes down two or more sides, then you're you're in your twenty five pound filling range. Now that filling on the top of the cube, the little 10 pound one, that could be a tiny speck or it could be the entire surface of the top of the cube. So when we're doing private ones, we would tend to price it more on necessarily the, you know, the size it takes up. So rather than me saying, oh, that would be 60 pounds, it could be anywhere between 25 and 60, you know, for that sort of one, depending on how big it was and that sort of stuff.
0: Okay, so it kind of varies. Um, yeah. But the bottom line is essentially it's always kind of more better than private work, I suppose. It's kind of a- well.
1: I think a lot of dentists like the health service because it provides um, you know, a reasonable quality of treatment for the general population. Okay, mm-hmm. um, Private dentistry is essential in this country because without it, um, the health service dentistry probably wouldn't survive. Um, and also there are a range of treatments outside of what you can do on the health service privately. Um, so on the health service, for instance, in Northern Ireland, you can, on the biting surface of your back tooth, you can only have a silver filling. But if you wanted a tooth color filling you can pay for that privately separately yourself now it's important to to say as well that 10 pounds for that filling um as well as that if you're if you have a health service contract you know you are getting pension contributions and you are getting some um help towards the practice running costs now, I don't own the practice, so I can't tell you exactly what those are. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some forms of rates relief, and they—I don't know if they still do—but they used to help out with the clinical waste disposal charges and things like that. So those costs have to be added into private treatments, and so that's why they always seem that bit more, because if you're if you're doing them on, pr- you have to incorporate those costs, extra costs, in that the health service are helping to to put
0: you know to alleviate, I suppose because i've been thinking a lot recently about you know this issue of public versus private particularly in the health service because we had a we had a a problem even just this, this week with my mother she had a frozen shoulders and um, went to the physio and the physio said like probably needs cortisol injections give her a letter to refer to gp and we just couldn't couldn't get in contact with the gp we got in contact with him eventually they referred her to the, the physio in the, in the practice and all they were basically going to do was give her a um, pain relief gel and you can just know that the whole process of trying to get a gp appointment trying to get a referral to the hospital the x-rays the, the treatment could be months could be years so we ended up just having to go private and i phoned the sh- shoulder surgeon on monday morning and said like can you look at my mom said yeah uh, is tomorrow at half ten? Okay, <laughs> 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 and you're going. Isn't it just crazy? So the, the public the, and the the public system, you, you could be months, if not years, because and some hip operations now, it's some it's four or five years for some people. Whereas, is uh, you go private, like uh, it's next Tuesday. Okay, I mean, it's just this, it's phenomenal. But what's really annoying me is, um, I mean, we're all paying for the health service out of our taxes, and it's a considerable amount of money, um, but the service is just aspects of it are just utterly horrendous. we're end up with this kind of two tier system where for a lot of stuff now, you just have no choice, but to go private. If you want any kind of treatment at all.
1: Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't disagree with any of that. Um I do think that probably the UK is quite a rich country uh, overall. And as a proportion of our wealth, this is going to be really unpopular. Um, we probably don't pay enough tax to fund a health service. Um, In other countries, the tax can be higher than ours, and yet they still have to have some form of insurance for a lot of their health service. Um, So I think successive governments have tried to keep taxes low because it's popular, but also keep the health service because it's popular. But unfortunately, those two things don't quite add up. And the health service is a really, really expensive thing to run. Um you'll know if you've ever had to fork out for the private treatment how much these things can cost. Yeah. Um, I sort of lost my thread there a wee bit, but yeah. so yeah, basically healthcare is essentially a very, very expensive thing. And what has happened over the past maybe 15 years is that the costs involved in healthcare have went up massively. Um obviously, and this is this is a very important thing. Lots more regulation has come into healthcare. And that regulation hasn't come in because, you know, someone just decided it should. It's come in because of things like Alder High in over in England. Um, It's come in because of Harold Shipman. It's beca- come in because of all these different things that have happened. Someone's went, you know what, there was no protection for the patients at that point in time against that particular thing. And we need to bring that in. And so th- those things have been brought in to protect patients. That's very important. Um. But those protections add cost, and no funding is given to do that, and so therefore more co- more of the money for the health service is going on these bureaucratic things, which are very important, but at the same time, you know sometimes that's taking away from the treatments and the waiting lists and all those other things that need done. Um, certainly within dentistry in Northern Ireland, um, uh, a number of years ago, practice inspections were brought in for every dental practice in northern ireland and i don't think there's a dentist here who here is <laughs> really me and uh, in northern ireland who could say you know it's not important that we're inspected and to make sure that everything's okay now m- the vast majority of dental practices were already inspected in northern ireland let's be clear because all health service practices were already inspected but if you were solely private there was no legislation to cover that so they may not have been inspected and um, when the legislation was brought in they didn't because legislation is difficult and expensive and all this stuff they didn't bring in an entirely new piece of legislation but they put dental practices in under private hospitals
0: mm-hmm.
1: and therefore the legislation in which we are inspected under is incredibly rigorous and um, because it's for a hospital not a dental practice and mm-hmm. um, now we all comply and um, if you can go onto the rqi website and check every dental practice their inspections and there is very little non-compliance or things that dental practices have to do within Northern Ireland in general. In fact, our rates are really good. Um, but that's all added cost to a small business to get all the paperwork, everything put in place for those inspections. That's important it's there, it's important we're doing it, but it does you know, add to all the costs of running businesses and running healthcare.
0: But how do you judge... I mean, is there, is there, is, does a system judge the quality of, of the work? I mean, how do you judge a good dentist versus a, a bad dentist? Or can you do it?
1: So um, those inspections are to make sure that we're following regulations and to make sure that safety is paramount for the patient. In terms of our actual work, that, those inspections do not inspect that. Now, there is a system for that too, but that's for health service dentists, and that's called the referral dental service. So um, periodically, I would need to double check, but I think it's every three years. um, We get um, a number of records of our treatment called up by the department or the board, and the dentist will go through those records, and then they will um, invite those patients in to be seen, and then they will check what's been
0: done. Okay. So they have a look at the quality of the work, essentially?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to make sure that we're doing it as well.
0: And are are most dentists okay, or do every now and again occasionally ones get struck off or whatever the
1: process is? Like every um, profession, you know, there's someone who's maybe not just up to scratch, um, and that's what these processes are there to, to find out. Because again, it's all about protecting the patient. So we have the general dental council, who's our overarching body, and if there's a fitness to practice committee, and people will be brought up in front of that if deemed necessary, and they will um, either get remedial action, which could be further training, supervised what, during their work, or struck off if they have done something really bad. Um, in terms of the health service stuff, um, I, I don't it's never happened to me, fortunately. I hope my work's good enough. Um, I don't know exactly what they do if they discover you know their work's not up to scratch. I'm assuming it's dealt with on some local level first and then perhaps escalated to the GDC. I
0: don't know. Okay. Um, So one of the the big questions I wanted to ask you, David, is um, why is your service so good and my GP service is so terrible, right? Because whenever I, I haven't been to my GP in years because what what normally happens is you, you ring up and you get engaged tones or it takes you like days to get an appointment and if you do get an appointment it's like three or four weeks and when you turn up you could be sitting in the waiting room for an hour hour and a half and you go in it's you you eventually get seen whereas it seems to be like with dentists with you guys you know i can phone up call gets answered i get an appointment on i get my text reminders my email reminders i pitch up at the allotted time it's you've got nice furniture and copy of today's newspaper <laughs> generally you're seen at the appointment time you're in a night in you know, whatever it is 10 15 20 minutes and i just can't understand why why are dentists and probably semi-opticians why are they so much better than the kind of gp service and because what where i'm kind of getting at is but is the fact that because you're kind of private and there's a market does that force you know to kind of up your game Whereas my GP, as far as I'm aware, he gets paid like a yearly fee per patient and it doesn't matter if he never sees them or sees them 20 times, it's the same price. So I think it's, it's almost like a perverse disincentive to you never see anybody if, if possible, he still get paid. So to see where I'm kind of getting at, so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to understand, does the market and the kind of commercial aspect kind of force you to have a kind of better service within dentistry that GPs don't have to do?
1: So I think they're, although they're both healthcare, they're they're very different things. So the vast majority of the people I see aren't sick or aren't in pain. And a lot of it's routine, sort of, we would do screening care to, to nip stuff in the bud. Whereas with medical care, it doesn't really work like that. I think the other thing is that there's a lot of this country that maybe don't have a dentist or don't go to the dentist a lot more than we would like. Um but everyone goes to see their GP at some point because everyone gets sick at some point. So every single person in this country has a medical card, we would hope, um, and they're registered with a GP. Um, GPs, there's a, a massive shortage of GPs um, as well at the moment. Um, so their workloads are massive. Um, as f- to the best of my knowledge, I'm not a GP, so I can't say this for sure, but they, as far as I know, they all work on 10 minute appointment times to fit in as many people as they can during the day. Um, They also have to write up notes on those people, do referrals on those people, get any repeat prescriptions all done during the day, and people who are in home care and all that sort of stuff also have to be dealt with. So their workload is probably much higher than mine in terms of that. Like I'm kind of blessed in my job where the vast majority of my workload is in between the hours that I walk into the dental practice and out of it. Now we do do on call and stuff as well, but it's relatively low level um, in terms of volume, you know, compared to stuff that doctors generally have to deal with. Um, Also, like we have the ability uh, within our profession that if we have a lot of patients on our books, we can sort of go, right, the practice is ridiculously busy at the moment. We're not gonna take on any new patients at the moment gps don't have that luxury everyone has to have a doctor so their lists could, could be astronomically huge i don't know what the average list of a gp in northern ireland is certainly um, in dentistry they they would the average people would tend to have would be in around 1500 you know active patients on their list but i don't know what gps i'm sure it's much higher
0: yeah it's probably three or four thousand i'm sure yeah yeah, but so I'm kind of wondering, like, how we fix because I know that is not technically related to to your profession. Is of, Hardy? I mean, do you end up? With, do you go down that route of saying to some people, like, if you go to like a private GP, you know, the similar model to dentistry, you know, the health service pay twenty percent or fifty percent or or whatever, um, just to kind of encourage some new entrants or new ways of working within within the system, you know? Yeah, kind of thinking about i
1: yeah i don't know um i think most doctors um i can, well i can't speak i'm not a doctor so i can't really speak for them i certainly know most dentists and therefore i'm extrapolating that to most doctors I think the idea of universal healthcare is a brilliant one okay um so i think probably there wouldn't be an appetite for that within the profession but the appetite would be would be for is probably better funding of that care um i suppose there's there's arguments over the years for different things like certainly for the dentistry of something called core service where you know the really important things the things that will save lives and you know prevent as much pain as possible would be you know protected and sort of free or low cost at the point of access but then sort of more because cosmetic and fancier stuff you know um would be private and you know some some people are advocates of that some people aren't but i think no matter where you come from in terms i think there there's definitely an argument for you know some sort of free at the point of access health care um i have colleagues and friends from the republic of ireland who um have moved to the uk um mostly over in england to be honest and they they say like in the uk we moan about the health service a lot but it's, you know, we don't know what we've got, essentially. And certainly, I know people's experiences. Like, the healthcare down in the Republic, I'm sure, is excellent. When But some of the access to it is probably slightly more difficult and certainly more expensive. Um, to see your GP can be anywhere between 30 and 70 euros, I've heard different prices quoted. It's maybe between 50 and 70 now. I'm not 100% sure on that. But you can imagine, like, there's a lot of people who couldn't afford, you know, between 30 and £50 pounds to go and see the GP and therefore wouldn't go. Yeah.
0: Well, that was, I mean, well, suppose you uh, the, the Republic have a medical card on this? So well, they do, like they do. Treatment. If
1: you're on benefits and stuff like that, you would see your GP and your dentist. There's a certain amount of dental treatment for free as well. Yeah. Though it's much more limited than free health service dentistry here.
0: Okay. Well, no. And on that, I mean, what's uh, the state of teeth... Generally in Northern Ireland, has it got better? Has it got worse? Is it the same or over the years? Um,
1: I think probably in, in my range of my profession, it's, I've been practicing over 17 years, but it's pretty much remained constant. Um, there are people in Northern Ireland with excellent dental health, and excellent teeth. And there are, on the other side, there are people who have poor dental health and um, they don't need a lot of treatment now that some of that is um biological if you if you have certain systemic diseases it affects your teeth and there's literally nothing you can do about that but try and mitigate that as much as possible um and a lot of it is to do with diet and smoking and stuff like that as well and probably you would tend to see people in lower socioeconomic groups would tend to have worse teeth. Now, that's not true for everyone. There, you know, there are people in those groups who have fantastic dentitions and there's people with lots of money who have terrible teeth. Um, yeah. But, but overall, you would tend to see that trend.
0: Um, Because I know a friend of mine, his dentist said that uh, he, he splits his time between a, a practice on Hike uh, Malone Road and uh, an NHS practice in one of the working class areas. And he says the difference between the, the quality of teeth, it's not just like differences in a city. It's like continental differences is <laughs> vast in between the two. And but hard is, is that? Uh, I mean, what for kids? I mean, do dentists still go around schools? Is, is that still a thing?
1: So um, that, that's the remit of the community dental service. Um, so within Northern Ireland, there are sort of three dental services almost. There's the General Dental Service, of which I am a member, um, and we are sort of independent contractors. The dental practices are small businesses, and we have an independent contract with the health service to provide health service dentistry. There's the Community Dental Service, which would tend to treat children. Um, we, it, we would refer to them if we have children who have a hard time with the dentist and need more time and care spent with them, and because of the way the Community Dental Service is funded compared to us, they can do that they can provide that service they provide it very well and they also would treat people and um, with learning difficulties and special needs dentistry and then there's the hospital dental service um, where we would refer to consultants and specialists
0: um as well but the community dent but did they actually like go out to schools and line them all up and check all their teeth is that a thing
1: <clears throat> they certainly Used to um I as far as I know that is still done but I think it's possibly more targeted um I don't work in the Community dental service so I'm not yeah. entirely sure and it has changed a lot over the years so you're asking the wrong person and I don't want to speak out of turn.
0: No no it's fair enough but see I'm just trying to understand of trying to how you kind of reach people early because I know there's in Northern Ireland that we have a sky high rates of tooth extraction for young children. Under their anesthetic, isn't there? It's like really... Because uh, I remember reading in the paper something like uh, the average extraction, of, like six teeth, you know, in the, in the Royal or wherever to do these things. And it, it just seemed seemed very high, you know, a lot of kind of teeth problems with, with certain kids.
1: Yeah, um, so a lot of those kids will be picked up in general dental practice. Um, and yeah, if there is school screen, they'll be picked up there as well. They, that sort of, that figure of, of you know, the average extractions, Excuse me, per general anesthetic is quite high because general anesthetics are not without risk. Yeah. So we don't like doing general anesthetics on people. Okay. It's the last resort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if they're doing a general anesthetic on a kid to take out teeth, they will tend to remove anything that's questionable so that they don't have to give them another general anesthetic to remove okay. them in maybe six months or a year's time. Um and so and because it's it's Deciduous teeth, baby teeth. It's not adult teeth we're talking about here. You know that's perceived to be the lesser of two evils. There,
0: yeah.
1: If that Got makes it. sense,
0: and what? And the main, the main issue is it just like there's a soft drinks and sweets essentially.
1: Yeah. Um. So yes, diet diet causes decay. Okay. Um. <clears throat> there was a study done in in Sweden, in 1954 of questionable ethics, and um, where they went into a home of people with learning difficulties. And fed them for vari- various amount of toffee, <laughs> yeah. um, to find out who got decay and who didn't. Um, so that that study sort of proved that sugar causes decay and a diet causes decay. Um, so there's there's two aspects to that. It's what you eat, um, in terms of the sugar content and all that, and also when you eat it. Okay, so you're probably old enough, like me, Brian, to remember the Wrigley's advert where they had the graph. And when you chewed the Wrigley's, the line went back up of the pH in your mouth. So basically, every time you eat something, the acidity in your mouth goes up, as in the pH goes down. And it's in that acid environment that decay happens. So if you are someone who constantly snacks, even if those snacks are healthy food and not sweet, you will probably get decay because the pH in your mouth will stay low. You'll have an acidy environment in your mouth for a long period throughout the day. And that causes
0: decay. Ah, so even if you're snacking on a, an apple or celery or whatever, it, any any food at all.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, and I think we're probably not good enough as a profession as communicating that. We'll do it on a one-to-one basis, but you know, probably should have adverts everywhere. Um, and then obviously, sugary foods themselves—you know, sugar. The higher the sugar content, the more chance you have of decay. And though there has been studies that show that crisps can cause decay more than chocolate. And that's because the chocolate melts and goes away, mm. and the crisps stick in your teeth and hang around for ages.
0: Ah, and then isn't there something about soft drinks are particularly damaging? Mm. Is it the is it is it the acid or something as well as the sugar or the bubbles? Is it, what, yes. It?
1: So um, when you um, carbonate a drink, um, and ah. that you're dissolving carbon dioxide into the water, and that produces a mild carbonic acid, and um, which is slightly acidic. Okay, so that's the first part of it, so you're increasing the acidity of the drink by carbonating it. Then, because this acidity is bitter, to try and combat that to have a wonderful tasting beverage, the sugar content is increased. Oh, okay. Um, and then there is a certain um, soft drink, which is very popular worldwide, a household name, um, that, as well as the carbonic acid and the amount of sugar, also contains phosphoric acid, as a flavoring and phosphoric acid is something we use in dentistry to etch teeth so it's not particularly good for your teeth over a long period of time
0: yeah and what about these because um, i see a lot of school kids eat energy drinks
1: oh they're terrible yeah because yeah, <laughs> they like, stick
0: to your teeth is that the issue they're,
1: they're they're very high sugar and yeah. obviously they're fizzy as well um but as i think in terms of general health they're terrible the amount of caffeine stuff in them and there's been a lot of work done on that from the medical profession, you know, showing the disruption of sleep patterns, and then it becomes almost an addiction to them because you're so tired because you can't sleep properly, so you drink more of them, and it's a big issue in young people. So, yeah, they're they're absolutely terrible, I have to say. And
0: uh, is there an issue with tea and coffee, apart from staining, but is there there any problems there?
1: Um, Tea and coffee generally are not too bad. Um, Yes, they will stain your teeth. Um, Anything with tannins? Will in your tea, so tea coffee, red wine, stuff like that. Um,
0: but, but the issue with tea and coffee is sugar if you have
1: sugar in them and or if you're having I suppose largely milky coffees, there's a certain amount of lactose sugar in that. But were they mostly water, no, they're not they're not that bad
0: because I'm just thinking the issue probably is like I'm probably like most people have a bit of chocolate or a biscuit with my cup of tea <laughs>
1: Well that, that, is a, that is a bit of an issue um, my, mo- <clears throat> my mother trained us from a young age to drink tea only and not a biscuit, so I'm not used to having biscuits with my tea uh,
0: you, you've, I, I, I was the opposite I, I had a, a childhood of, of mojos and blackjacks and I've got, <laughs> I've got the, the fillings to, to show it um, So then the, and you should brush your teeth before eating
1: yeah so the recommendations are that first thing in the morning when you get up you brush your teeth okay and the reason for that is that overnight your salivary glands shut down and saliva is the thing that protects your teeth against decay the most so when you have all that acidy stuff in your mouth your saliva neutralizes that and brings the ph back up to a more neutral environment to stop the decay Mm -hmm. so while you're sleeping like a lot of your body um, your saliva shuts down So that's why if you're a mouth breezer, you wake up with a furry mouth in the morning. Yeah. And so we advise brushing first thing, freshens your breath, because you're minty toothpaste and also it puts lots of um, fluoride around your teeth and that protects you against your breakfast. Now, if you have your breakfast first and then brush your teeth, what you have done is you've made an acidy environment in your mouth and then you're getting your toothbrush and you're rubbing your teeth while they're all acidy. And the acid—if you know—if you pour acid on something, it'll sort of break down the surface of it. So then, if you abrade it, it's you're going to rub away the surface in that acid environment. So if you eat shortly before you brush, then you're effectively brushing a little tiny bit of the surface of your tooth away. Now, a little tiny bit, microscopic amounts, but over a long period of time, that all adds up. So the idea is, if you brush your teeth before your breakfast. Um, then the fluoride in your to- toothpaste is still there rummaging around your mouth to protect your teeth against your breakfast to a certain extent and also increase the pH. Now, I know people have issues with brushing their teeth and then drinking their orange juice for breakfast because the, yeah, the taste is not great. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's why I'm, it's a really sort of basic thing. The, the actual recommendation is as soon as you get up so then you like go to the toilet, get dressed, get washed, yeah. You've got about maybe twenty minutes then mm-hmm. before you you hit the breakfast table, um, to get to get that mintiness sort of settled down.
0: Yeah, because my own personal routine was when I get up, I have a, I have a cup of tea with milk, mm-hmm. and then I wait like half an hour and uh, brush my teeth because I I, I think my teeth stain quite easy, and I figure yeah. you know get it to taste anyway, and then I wait like half an hour or so before having my porridge.
1: Yeah. But that, not that's, that's not too right. bad because you're yeah. leaving that downtime of about yeah, half an it. hour and you haven't had, with tea with milk, you haven't had something particularly bad, then you're not too bad. Um, if you've had, like, you know, a proper meal, we'd probably recommend an hour to allow that pH to go back up.
0: But, so it, so it's, it's, it's an hour, sort of 20 minutes, no? An hour?
1: Mm. Again, it, everyone, you know, we say an hour to allow for, you know, the best thing to happen, you know, in order for the pH to go is, as high as it can. Everyone is different, we're all biological beings. Um, Mm -hmm. Your mouth's not the same as my mouth, your salivary glands don't work at the same efficiency as mine, and so forth. And it also depends on what you eat as well, how low the pH is when. So say with a cup of tea with milk and no sugar, and like that, you know, probably half an hour is absolutely adequate. Um, But if you're having, you know, a high sugar, high acid meal, you know, definitely an hour.
0: Well, so, so, so the tips basically is never drink does of any variety stick with water yes water Breach your or, teeth.
1: yeah water and milk is what we tell kids to drink water and milk
0: yeah and um, then uh is snacking now that's 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 very interesting because i know like a lot of people love their snacks now we will be the same like
1: yeah so yeah. snack snacking is um yeah a big issue um so in dental terms now we're not dietitians <laughs> in dental terms we like people to have their three squares a day so that you're getting you know all those acidy bits in the one time and i'm sure this has been um, recommendations from dentists from time immemorial. if you're going to have sweets have them straight after your dinner um, and that that's just to get that all grouped into you know that one acid attack that's, uh, you know of your teeth so and um, the research shows that if you're brushing your teeth with a good fluoride toothpaste twice a day you can have your three square meals and two not high sugar snacks and um, throughout the day, and you should be okay for dental decay.
0: Well, yeah, that's good. Yes. Well, that's, that's, that's food for thought. Yeah, and, sugar, um,
1: and sugar-free and chewing gum does help after, you know, snacks and things to get more saliva flow and reduce that, get that pH back up more quickly. The Wrigley's graph was true back in the day.
0: Okay. Um, and uh, dentistry is important as well, because you can pick up on other conditions, can't you? That you, yeah. sometimes you can diagnose that are...
1: yes. So when you come in for your dental checkup, we're not mm-hmm. just looking at the white stones in your mouth. Um, we do look at those; and those are important. But we look at your gums, we look at your cheeks, we look at your tongue, we look at the roof of your mouth, we look um underneath your tongue as well. And we uh, will, depending on what we lo- what we see when we look at you, sometimes we'll have a wee feel around your face as well. Um, and th- those are to detect the big one is oral cancer, and there's different types of that. Um, other soft tissue disorders um, of which there are many and some of those will be symptomless and some of them will have symptoms Um, and we would try and pick up on any of those and if they require further treatment or referral or anything get that sorted out for you as well. So back when I was in university many moons ago um, they told me that each dentist would normally... pick up one case of oral cancer throughout their career now i think that is probably increased to be honest because of life's you know lifestyles and stuff and certainly in my practicing career so far i have had three patients um that we've picked up and got referred and treated and so forth um so yes we do see it probably more commonly than we'd like actually um but that's why we we invite people to come in and have let us have a look at them every now and again i know sometimes we have i have patients who maybe have lost that last tooth and then they're onto full dentures and they'll say oh well i don't need to come back now yeah <laughs> and it's going kind of like nope we're still gonna ask to see you once a year to look at your gums and make sure everything's healthy okay. Um, it'll be five minutes once a year but you know it's important that that's done
0: and the because uh, earlier on you mentioned that you know a lot of people don't go to the dentist do we know what percentage of people never go near a dentist
1: people do know that i'm not one of those people um, and yeah. there will be statistics i didn't look them up before this i'm sorry no, that's okay. <laughs>
0: but i'm just kind of curious as a softened end that we probably because i'd be honest with you even myself i mean it was seven years before I, I went to dent- <laughs> before I went to you, I <laughs> didn't, yeah. which, which is a not an not, a not unusual thing. But yeah. I mean, it probably does make sense for people to get treated more often,
1: really. Yeah, I think actually in Northern Ireland, we're probably not that bad um, compared to probably other parts of the UK um, because of there's a high proportion of health service dentistry in Northern Ireland compared to certainly England. I'm not 100 percent about Scotland, Wales. The systems are very different within different parts of the UK. So Scotland is more similar to us. England is a very different system, and I think Wales is the same system as England. Um, England and Wales originally had our system, but theirs were modified. Um, but we, we've we maintained the same system all the way through, more or less. Um, mm-hmm. 17 years ago, when I signed up my contract to the health service, they told me it would be gone within six months, and we'd be doing a new system but it's never happened yet it's gone
0: and and is, is there a shortage of dentists sorry are, are we okay for dentists
1: so there was a shortage um way back when when i decided um to become a dentist um, somewhere in my teenage years there was a shortage of dentists and i went you know what if there's a shortage of those people i should be one of those people yeah um because then there'll be work Um, with the changing of the eu regulations in the late 90s it meant that EU dentists could work anywhere within the EU, and their qualifications transported. Um, now there was work done in that, um, because it was happening while I was at dental school, um, where there was inspections and <clears throat> regulation across every dental school in Europe to make sure that there everyone's of a standard to work in every other country. Now there are sort of things you have, you know, obviously within each country. You have to know the language and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But what that meant was, and I think probably our listeners would anecdotally know this, that a lot of dentists came over from Europe to Northern Ireland and the UK. And certainly, you know, there's quite a few guys from Poland and Spain and different places who have come over to work here. And because of that, there wasn't, there hasn't been a shortage of dentists, okay, recently. Um, will that change come Brexit? We don't know um, because we don't know what, What's going to happen you know in terms of will brexit put people coming off coming over to work here Um, certainly the dentists who are here are going to stay um i had to look into this because i'm technically a european qualified dentist because i didn't qualify in the uk oh, um okay, yeah. so i had to make sure i could still work after brexit and i can because i'm already registered um <clears throat> but certainly you know that might become an issue back in the 80s um mrs thatcher closed the number of dental schools to my knowledge i believe there were 25 and it's down to about 13 in the uk and that created the kind of shortage in the early 90s but then that was mitigated against by our colleagues from europe but Mm -hmm. we don't know if that's going to change over the next few years
0: and on Europe, I mean, is, is it still a fashion? Because I used to see ads in the paper, and you mm. fly to a bit and get your dental surgery done, and all this your type of stuff. Is, is dentist is dental touristry still a thing? And oh, ab, me, ab, is, <clears throat> Why ab- is it so much cheaper then? And- Absolutely.
1: Um, I don't know the exact reason. Um, I know that our costs are high. Um, within the UK and Ireland. Um, in terms of regulation, which is important, as I've stated, um, and also the materials and all those things. Um, I can't say for sure why it's so much cheaper in those other countries. I would assume the dental companies that we deal with are selling the same things to them for the same price, but it's probably market variable, and if the incomes in that country aren't as high, then they have to price their stuff accordingly, and that's just the way it goes. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's there's definitely people um, within Northern Ireland and definitely the UK who go over to other European countries to get implants, particularly implants done, because that's the thing that probably is advertised most and has the yes. biggest price difference.
0: And also, I mean, there is people come from from Dublin up to Belfast, isn't there, for dentistry?
1: Oh, absolutely, it's, it's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's quite a there is certainly along the border practices. There's quite a burgeoning um, amount of dentistry done um in comparison or sorry non-comparison you know from our our friends from across the border and again dentistry costs that bit more down there um and again there's probably historical reasons for that in terms of the cost of runner practice um certainly for a long time their insurance was much higher than ours Mm -hmm. um and stuff like that but yeah the um we definitely do see people coming through the north from the south for industry,
0: yeah. Okay. Well, sure. We'll probably start to wrap it up now, but was there any other issues that you kind of want to highlight before we, before we finish or is there any kind of systems around the world that you think, you know, we could look at There's any way you would change the system or is it just kind of more money? Is there some kind of way?
1: Um, there, yeah, there are different systems out there. Um, there are arguments for and against a lot of systems, the system we work, at the moment, I have to say it's probably not ideal in most emphasize and In that, you know, we we, we do, our treatments. We get paid for the treatments. We, we have by by to a certain extent. I think there was a system um of what they call weighted capitation, sort of mooted at one point for Northern Ireland, which seemed fairly reasonable, where um we would be paid, sort of almost like a GP, you'd be paid for the amount of patients you had for the year Mm -hmm. or whatever, um, and you'd do the treatment. But there was also an element of um, the fee per item in that, in that if you had to do certain really expensive things like crowns and stuff, there would be a bit extra to pay towards the lab fee or something like that. So I think, you know, in preventative terms, if we could spend more time with our patients, that would be really, really helpful. And prevention, as we know, is better than cure. If you stop you needing a filling, that's much better than having to get a filling. So the system as it is, um, where we see you for a very short time for a checkup, you know, we get to do some of that prevention probably, but not to spend the time with the patients to, to increase that sort of prevention as much as possible. Because it may sound weird, but we're trying to do ourselves out of a job most of the time you know what we want is ideally not to have to lift drills and do fillings and stuff on people um mm-hmm. you know and to try and get i think our dental education in this country and we're to blame for this as much as anyone is, is is a lot poorer than it should be um i think probably we're doing better over the last while there's a lot more people out there hopefully you know about floss because i keep banging on about it for
0: them um but you know What's what's the message about floss? I thought floss was, was that not, was not in the news last year? It was useless or is, is, is it is it back in fashion?
1: Yeah. So again, you know, sometimes you get these headlines in certain newspapers um, that rhyme with snail um, and they'll be on the back of one excerpt from one study or something. So yes, there was somebody who suggested that flossing didn't really reduce the bacterial load and stuff in certain parts of your mouth. Um, I think overall, if I can get people to floss, it's reducing the amount of stuff in between their teeth, whether yeah. that's food or plaque, okay? And even if it's floss or any other interdental brush or toothpick or anything, your regular toothbrush doesn't get in that bit in between your teeth, you know? Um, it just Your back teeth are too fat, the bristles just don't get in there, so if you get something else in there, once a day at least, that'll reduce the amount of stuff sticking in there, and that's going to increase... The health of your gums and reduce your decay levels
0: yeah Um, i i use the the dental tape stuff yeah um, i'm happy if if you're using it
1: i'm happy um (laughs) it's just to get some i think the other thing that it does and this is very important is it makes you think about cleaning your teeth a bit more um you know so anything we can do to get people to, to have a trigger in their life to brush your teeth more clean their teeth more take more care of their mouth you know that that's brilliant because it's um, because of our refined diet these days, we have to do this more. Um, back in you know thousands of years ago, when people were munching on roots and, you know, their foods weren't overly prepared and, you know, ground down and all that sort of stuff, then they didn't have all these issues because the, the refined carbohydrates weren't there to cause all the decay. And they tend, if you look at the the, the skulls of people from that period, their teeth are ground down. You know, because they only live 30 or 40 years, their teeth are designed to last about that long, and their diet kind of wore them down to stumps, basically, over that time.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what I do is, I, I keep the the floss beside a TV remote control. Yep. So whenever you watch watching TV, it kind of reminds you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I have a
1: colleague who is a gum specialist, and she would say that she gets her patients to go and use their interdental brushes and their floss in the adverts in Coronation Street.
0: Yeah this kind of cues really isn't yeah me, absolutely you. okay cool well I think that's everything David Um that was a good discussion now, uh, uh, we now know an, an awful lot more about <laughs> dentistry <laughs> yeah well hopefully I didn't
1: bore everyone to death
0: thanks for your time so that's, not at all Dr David Souter is available at Creative Smiles for all your dental needs yeah. Um which hopefully will return to normal sometime soon absolutely so um, if you've enjoyed today's podcast you can subscribe and give us a review would be great so we'll uh, we'll leave it there thanks for listening thank you the slugger tool podcast is sponsored by Queen's university belfast researchers at queens are at the heart of supporting global efforts to understand the coronavirus to discover more about their research please visit qeb.ac.uk